It's amazing how that God works things out because uh, I just got home Thursday night late, and then Friday morning, I decided I would work on my message. Title of it is Occupied Till It Comes, and then Robert comes here and starts talking about investing on the trading floors and trading on the trading floors. I found it very, very interesting that he brought that up, and, and here we're going in this direction today. But God, God has, wants us and desires for us to occupy the land and the sphere that he has placed us in until he comes. Many people have so focused on him coming that they don't occupy anything. Let me rephrase that. Many have so focused on him coming that they don't occupy anything. And so what God wants us to do is begin occupying the territory, the land, the inheritance God has given us until he comes. So our focus, you know, we're, we're focused in faith for his return, but at the same time, my focus is on doing his plans, purpose, and will while I'm here in this earth. So in other words, I'm just not going to lay down and, and, and say, come Jesus, I don't have to do anything else, you know, you just come. And a lot of people have taken that course and taken that route, and that's the wrong course and the wrong route. So we'll look in some scriptures here in Galatians chapter 3, verse 29. I'm, I'm laying some foundation for a series of messages today. It says, and if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring. King James says seed. Other translations says seed. Heirs according to the promise. So you need to grab a hold of this. If you belong to Christ, everything that he promised Israel belongs to you also. You have just as much right, just as much inheritance to that. Then in Hebrews 12, 28, since we are receiving our rights to an unshakable kingdom, we should be extremely thankful and offer God the purest worship that delights his heart as we lay down our lives in absolute surrender filled with awe. Even right now, we're receiving a kingdom. One of the reasons this place is called Kingdom Gate is because we're kingdom-minded. If we were Jesus come back, mine it would be called the Rapture Church. But we're not called the Rapture Church. We're called Kingdom. And so that's because our focus is on the kingdom of God. Now, I want you to look. We're going to read Luke 19, 12, and 13 out of four different translations because I wanted you to get the fullness of what God is saying about occupying till I come. This is out of the King James. He said, therefore, a certain nobleman went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and to return. And he called his ten servants and delivered them ten pounds and said to them, Occupy till I come. It's a good word. That word there defined is take possession. I'm giving you something. I want you to take possession of it. We read it again in the English Standard Version. He said, therefore, a nobleman went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and then return. Calling ten of his servants, he gave them ten minas and said to them, engage in business until I come. That word engage there means to get involved. Get involved with what the Lord is doing. It also means to Enter into conflict. And one of the things that we are here is that we are a warfare church. So we don't mind the conflict. As a matter of fact, within us that are warriors, we thrive in that arena called conflict. Others don't, but we do. Because we've been made differently. We've been called to be warriors. You know, I, I like what Robert said last night about entering into his rest. When we enter into his rest, we enter into ruling. And raining, not just finally get to rest. So it means to become involved to, or to enter into the conflict. And as warriors, we're called to enter into the conflict. We enjoy the conflict. It says in the Message Bible, there was once a man descended from a royal house who needed to make a long trip back to headquarters to get authorization for his rule and then return. But first he called his ten servants together gave them each a sum of money, and instructed them, operate until I return. That word there, operate, it means to work, or perform, or to function, or to carry 
out an action. I love the word function there because the word function begins to identify your gifting and calling that God has placed in your life when you look at the word function. Every one of us here have a gifting and function that God wants us to function in. One of the things that my function, my gift, primarily is that of an apostle. I have very little pastoral gifting in me. I do have a fathering gift, but very little pastoral gift, and that's why I don't like to counsel people. Because when I'm sitting in front of people counseling them, I get very frustrated and, uh, and probably frustrating them. I'm not a prophet, so I can't prophesy all the time. But there are times, just like when we prophesied over the 12 cities in January, and I prophesied back in July, I think it was, about what God was bringing and coming. I prophesied then, but I'm not a prophet. So I don't try to prophesy when I don't have a word. That's a good word there. You need to grab hold of that. But a prophet can prophesy anytime. So they'll jump into that function, but a prophet can operate as an apostle. They can try to, but probably get frustrated, operate as a teacher. One of the things I tell people all the time, I tell prophets is, stop teaching, please. Because they like, it's like when a prophet teaches, it's like going on a rabbit trail. They're going everywhere. You should have heard... Uh, Chuck Pierce, before, he, before they harnessed him to PowerPoint. I remember the days of Chuck Pierce before PowerPoint. And this man was all over the place. You couldn't follow him. It's because he's a prophet. But a prophet is very challenging for them to be a teacher. Now, they can teach you how to prophesy. Same thing about a teacher. Teacher can't function as an apostle. Neither can an evangelist function as a prophet. They can be prophetic. But when you find your function, you become very good at what you do, whether it's hospitality or whether it's the gift of giving or sowing, you become very good at it, and it's noticeable. And so God wants us to take our gift and our function and begin functioning in that arena. That's what that word means there, to function, the word operate. In the New American Standard, he's, so he said, a nobleman went to a distant country to receive a kingdom for himself and then return. And he called ten of his slaves and gave them ten miners and said to them, do business with this until I come back. That word do business means to trade. A volume of trade is what that means. It's not necessarily owning a business, but trading. And, and again, if you missed yesterday's teaching on the trading floors of, of heaven, the different dimensions of trading floors, you missed it. You should have been here because that was absolutely incredible how that we can, and, and he talked about the trading floor of grace, not the trading floor of performance. The trading floor of grace where we approach God and say, God, I trust you. Not the floor that says, Lord, I've done this and this and this, so you've got to do that. But the trading floor of grace I absolutely love that word. And then he talked about operating in the trading floor of the apostolic. He touched on that briefly. And we need to understand here that this house is an apostolic house. That's who we are. So we operate on a trading floor of the apostolic. He actually mentioned that apostles and prophets are governmental. So you have to think of this house, and we should have this up for every new person that comes here, that we're an apostolic governmental house. We're not a pastoral pasture. That just came to me just then. I like that. <laughs> we're an apostolic governmental house. That means... We're, our calling as a ecclesia is to rule and reign over Florida. Not over Satellite Beach, not over just the Space Coast, but the entire state of Florida. And you've got to get your thinking out, we're called to Satellite Beach. Because while we are, our calling is beyond that. It's beyond the Space Coast. It's into the entire state of Florida. And so we have to begin thinking that way that our calling is to Florida. You need to start asking God to give you downloads and revelation for Florida. Say, Lord, give me downloads and revelation for Florida. And, and just like 
When I prophesied over those 12 cities, I knew the Lord wanted us to go to some of the 12. I didn't know which ones, except I knew we were going to St. Augustine because it's been in my heart to go there for about two years. Been there before, but it's been a long time. So we're going there in May, but when I was at Bill Hammond's place up in uh, Santa Rosa Beach, uh, I was, the meeting was over, and I was walking down a hallway, and, and, and two ladies walked out, and one of them saw me, and she came down the hallway to greet me, and they're from Panama City, which is one of the regions we prophesied over. And I started talking to her about Panama City because it was very devastated by Hurricane Michael. I've never seen anything like it. I've been through uh, now five hurricanes, and I've never seen anything like Michael was. And uh, she started telling me how it's oppressed. But as she's telling me about the oppression, the Spirit of God began rising up on the inside of me and saying, you're going to Panama City. You're going to go there and hold a prayer rally. And so while I'm talking to them and they're talking to me, I said, listen, girls, the Spirit of God just rose up in me. I think we're supposed to do something in Panama City. And see, that's the way I think. It's the way I function. I don't function on a local church level. I function on a kingdom level that looks at the whole state of Florida. So we have to look at our portion as being as having the launch codes that unlocks the state of Florida into her destiny. It's a good word there. Wow. And then again, in the Passion Translation, once there was a wealthy prince who left his province to travel to a distant land where he would be crowned king and then return. Before he departed, he summoned his ten servants together and said, I am trusting each of you with $50,000 to trade with while I am away. Invest it. Put the money to work until I return. I love this invest because it actually means the definition of it is to put the money to work to, and also to furnish with power. So he doesn't just, he's not necessarily talking about money here, but he can be talking about money because when you start investing into the kingdom of God with your finances, I promise you it will come back to you in, in immeasurable ways. But he's also talking about investing our gifts and our functions in who we are. You're not just called to come to church on Sunday to say a prayer at bedtime and pay your tithes. All of that we should do. But our calling is to invest what God has put into, in us into the earth, into others' lives. Getting involved in what's going on in the earth, taking that investment that God has given to us, that kingdom portion that we have, and letting it become leaven within the earth. Woo! Some good stuff there. Because see if you just, and we should do this, if we just come to church on Sunday, pay our tithes, and we should do that, but we're not investing beyond that, then we're not fulfilling the destiny that God has given to each one of us. And your destiny is far beyond this local house. Far beyond it. Rupert there has a, a dream and investment of having a training center over his, in his house. You should see his house. He's still working on it. And I've been working on it for a number of years. But he has plans to have a training center. They're building a small auditorium uh, and, and the, in his house. <coughs> where he can bring in speakers and begin training the body of Christ. You see, he's making an investment of his own money, his own resources, his own vision into what God has called him to do so that he can in turn turn around and give it to somebody else. Woo, it's good. I love Martin Luther King. I have a dream. I have a dream that one day the children of former black slaves and the children of former white slaves owner will one day sit down at the table of brotherhood together. That was his dream. And today that dream is beginning to be fulfilled across the land. 
that brothers and sisters, some who are owned by who are slaves and owned by the ones who, who, had, who had slaves are now sitting down together at the table of brotherhood. But that man invested his entire life into that dream that God placed in him to the point he was willing to die for it, and he did. And when he died, he sowed, his, his death was a seed that was sown into this nation that brought more fruit after his death than it did while he was alive. Wow. Now that was prophetic. All right. We have been called by our Heavenly Father to take possession of the land and the inheritance. To those of you who are a part of his kingdom... It is our privilege to be able to possess and steward that which God has given to us. I want to say this again. We have been called by our Heavenly Father to take possession of the land and the inheritance. To those who are part of His kingdom, it is our privilege to be able to possess and steward that which God has given us. Joshua and Caleb, and I'll talk more about them in another message, they were possessors of the land. While the other ten said, let's go back to Egypt, Joshua and Caleb said, let's possess the land. God wants us to become possessors of the land also, to invest, to operate, to engage in the calling of God that he's placed within this land. So what is a possessor? It's to have as belonging to one, have as property to own, to possess a house or a car, to have as a faculty, quality, or the like, to possess courage of the spirit, especially over, uh, of an evil one, to occupy, to dominate or control a person from within. He thought he was possessed by devils. It's also feelings or ideas to dominate or actuate in the matter of such a spirit. He was possessed by envy. Let me share this with you. Those of you that own a home, you own far more than a home. You own the sphere that God has placed you in. He has placed you there to steward it. When he placed Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, he told them to cultivate or to steward the land. That they had authority to do that. He told them that he had given them dominion to rule in the sphere that God had placed them in. He told Joshua, and Caleb, uh, Joshua he says, every place that the sole of your foot treads upon, I've given it to you. Now, his foot didn't tread in America. His foot tread in Canaan land. That was his sphere. That's where God gave him authority. His authority in Canaan land was off the chain unless Israel sinned. And one time they did, and all of a sudden they get defeated at Ai. You and I, we have dominion and authority in the sphere that God has placed us in to rule and reign within that sphere, to be able to trade within that sphere, to be able to dominate that sphere that the Lord has us in. On the job that you work, you should be the most like employee there by your employer. Your employer should go to you before he goes to somebody else because you dominate that sphere. As a matter of fact, whoever you work for, you should work harder than anybody else that is there because you have the ability to dominate and rule and reign there. Good work. I will. Thank you, Cheryl. And you've heard me say this, but I want to tell this story for those who have not heard it and those who may be watching that have not heard it because it goes along with this. About a year before we moved to um, this region, I had taken my son and two granddaughters and Cheryl, and we came over to Cocoa Beach, and I rented a big old three or four-bedroom place. And uh, we were staying there, and we were just hanging out on the beach, and Kenna's down in the water playing with her daddy, but Michaela's sitting beside me. I said, Michaela, why don't you go down there and get in the water with your dad and Kenna, y'all have a good time. She says, no, I'm not going down there, Papa. I said, why not? She said, this stretch of beach and ocean right here has more shark attacks than anywhere in this nation. She had Googled it, and it's true. Now, people don't usually get killed over here, but 
they get nipped or bit, you know, and that sort of thing. So she was terrified of getting in the water. And I said this to her, and I said it with authority and faith. And I know it to be true. I said to her, Kenna, as long as I'm here on this beach, there will not be any shark attack while I'm here. She said, how do you know that, Paul? Paul?" I said, I own all of this. Now, I couldn't convince her to get in the water. But that's the way I operate. That's the way I feel in my heart. Hal and I and some others went to Tallahassee back in October, wasn't it? The end of October, somewhere along there, to pray over the election. In my spirit, I knew if there was not a shift that we would not have a conservative in office. We would have a socialist liberal in office. And, and, and also there were three justices to be appointed to the Supreme Court of Florida once that governor went into office, and DeSantis has already done that. So I knew that we had to go to Tallahassee to possess the land. And so we first go to the 22nd floor, where Cheryl prophesied in 2004, uh, 2004 that it was the Isaiah 22, 22 floor. And if you ever go up there, it's a vacant floor that was made for the governor of Florida. He didn't want to govern from up there. He wanted to govern down at the floor level. And the Lord spoke to us and said that that floor has been reserved for the church of Florida to govern from, be an ecclesia. So we went up there and we began governing. We began possessing that capital. We began possessing the state of Florida. And then Pam Olson, a friend of mine, she made a call and she got us into the governor's office. So we go into the governor's office and we're sitting, I'm sitting there in the governor's chair behind his desk. And I say that Andrew Gillum, I decree this in Jesus' name, will not enter this office. It's not his. We close the door to him. We open the door to Ron DeSantis in Jesus' name. This was the only hope DeSantis had, was that the ecclesia would arise and begin possessing the land, and God did it. Took a while for the unbelievers to believe it. They had to recount for a month or longer, and, uh, but finally, he won. See what? You own your sphere that God's placed you in. My sphere is the entire state of Florida. I own all of it. It's mine. It does belong to God, but he's given me the stewardship of it while I'm here on this earth. And so it's up to us. If we want the heartbeat bill passed, we're going to have to steward this in prayer. If we want the elective of Bible to pass, we're going to have to begin occupying in prayer, making decrees. I decree this Bible bill will pass and become an elective in the Florida schools in Jesus' name. We may have to make some trips. I'm hoping some of you will get a, a missionary passion in your life, and you'll make a trip to Tallahassee, go up on the 22nd floor, and start making some decrees up there of what the Lord said he's going to do. I'm happy. I don't know about you. I'm loving my message. I don't know whether you are or not, but I'm liking it because I'm looking for missionaries to be a missionary in the state of Florida. I'm not looking to send anybody overseas. I need you here. You hear that, Suzanne? You hear that, Vips? I thought I was just going to talk to her. I wasn't just talking to her. We need you guys here because we've been called to govern. And I need people who have a ruling spirit on the inside of them that wants to rule and reign within a region and within their sphere. They have a governmental spirit on the inside of them that they're called to govern in their region and in their sphere. Some of you need to renew your mind and who God is on the inside of you and who he has made you to be. You need to realize that you're an ambassador of another kingdom. You're not an ambassador of your family. You're not an ambassador of your children. You're an ambassador, ambassador of the kingdom of God. And you have been placed on this earth as an ambassador to rule and reign, to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ, to preach the gospel of the kingdom. You're called and rule and reign within this earth. And when you're in your sphere and you're ruling and you're functioning in your gift, there's nobody like you. 
But you get outside your gift, I wonder who you are. Where did that come from? Hello. Let's talk about possessing the gates for a moment. And I, as again, I'm going to lay in the groundwork because we're going to talk about more about possessing the gates. There are many gates and gateways that God has called you and I to possess. Possession of a gate means that someone or some entity is ruling in that gate, and gates represent authority. There are gates within a city that God wants his ecclesia to rule and reign in. For far too long, we've allowed the enemy to rule and reign in the gates of our cities because we've done nothing to rule. It's not that we can't rule. We've just sat down and done nothing to rule. There are cities right now that are going through transformation, and, and I'll, tell you one, I'll tell you one is represented here, and that's Titusville. Titusville is going through a societal transformation within society because some of the ecclesia in that region has decided, let's rule and reign. And believe me, it doesn't take, you need to get this too. You do not have to have every church in a city on board to do, to take over and rule within that city. We have the misconception that we have to have every one of them. You don't have to have every one of them. You only need the remnant that will tip the bowls. That's all, whatever remnant that is. You only need the remnant. And so I, I think a lot of people, and don't get me wrong, I love unity. But I think a lot of people are going after something that's not real. It's a fake unity. They just want everybody to get along, pat each other on the back. That's not unity. We go to the send on the 23rd, that's unity. Because we're going there with one purpose, that God would send us into the harvest fields of America, whatever part of the world that you're from. That's unity. We think of unity as everybody being a family, everybody getting along. There's nothing wrong with being a family. We should get along, but that's not real unity. Real unity is when you and I come together with one purpose, and that's to bring his kingdom in the earth. The Bible says of one of the tribes, I think it's in 1 Chronicles, for some reason I, I, I want to say 12, but maybe I'm wrong. It talks about one of the tribes. When the transition came from Saul to David, one of the tribes came there with full of heart to make David the king over Israel. That's what their function was. They had fullness of heart to call him and allow him to be king. That's what real unity is, is that we have fullness of heart to make Jesus the king on the space coast, to make Jesus the king in the state of Florida. That's real unity. That went over really well. Yeah, I had to jump in later on. Oh, Yeah. <laughs> Now, there are many different types of gates. One is the first one I want to talk about, and I'm not going in detail on this. I will later, is your mind gate. When it says in Psalms 24, 7, lift up your heads, O ye gates. The first gate you've got to open up is the gate of your mind. Dutch and I, we joke all the time, and <laughs> he, he does have a good memory. He has an incredible memory. The only person I know that has a better memory than him is Cheryl. And, uh, but Dutch was, and this is kind of funny because he and I joke around all the time. He's, he, he said something, and, and uh, I said, I don't know. He says, Malone, he said, I've got a memory like a steel trap. I said, yeah, and it's rusted clothes. <laughs> now, he and I joke like that all the time. We're just like brothers. You should see us going back and forth, texting over the phone. And, um, but anyway, one of the gates that has to open up is the gate of your mind. You have to realize and believe that you have been sent by God into this region and territory. See, I know Pam Durstein has been sent here by the Lord. There's no doubt in my mind about it. I wanted to be sent a long time ago, but the Lord sent her to Fort Lauderdale for a while, and, and so I just told her, I said, I'm going to let you go there for a while, and, and then I kept praying her in here because I knew that she was supposed to be a part of us and tied to us because she is who we are. 
Some of you others the same way. I feel like the Lord is sending this couple from Titusville. Uh, and, and listen, I'm not trying to be the Lord. I'm not trying to tell you what to do. And this is not a word from the Lord, but I just feel in my gut a connection with you guys. Same thing is true with many others. And the enemy will work really hard to get your mind closed where you feel like, what am I doing here? Why am I here? They try to get you to close your mind so that you're not thinking the way he thinks. You're not seeing yourself the way that he sees you. I mentioned it last week. I'm reading a book right now called um, Switch on Your Mind by Dr. Carolyn Leaf. Switch on your brain, yeah. Switch on your brain. See, I told you she remembers everything. <laughs> Switch on your brain by Dr. Carolyn Leaf. And she says this, that, the way, that, that 70%, up to 70% of all the diseases in the, in the world are caused by the way that we think. And she, t- she talks about how they can look and see the function of a brain and all the different cells in the brain, how it functions the way that God wants it to function when we are seeing ourselves the way the Bible sees us. When we're speaking over our lives the way the Bible speaks to us. She said people actually get healed when they start taking their brain and turning it on and start saying what God says, and they continue to do that. It makes adjustments in the brain cells, she says. It starts adjusting. She said the the first sign of adjustment will be after you doing this for 21 days, taking 15 minutes a day, capturing every evil thought, taking it into captivity, and then bringing it into the obedience of Christ, which is replacing it with the Word of God. She says, if you'll do this 15 minutes for 21 days, your brain starts to shift. Places in your body begin shifting. She says, we were created. She goes on to say this. She says, we were created to love. We were created to forgive. We were created to be what God has called us to be. But because of many things that we have, been, have gotten into our brain and into our mind, we fail to do that because we think totally opposite. I'd encourage you to get that book. Now, the first good half of it is all science, but she ties it into Scripture. She ties every bit of the science into Scripture. She talks about the brain cells, and if you don't like all of that, then uh, every once in a while we need to switch on our brain and just think. As Bryant said a while ago, smile. I've often said if you smile, revival will break out. It's the mind gate. You need, to, you need to control what goes in there. When something comes in there that's not from the Lord, you need to grab a hold of it and bring it into captivity and cause that thought to turn to the obedience of Christ. That's 2 Corinthians, the 10th chapter. There's also the eye gate that we see with these eyes. And that eye gate allows things to come into your mind and into your thinking. Same way with the ear gate or, or the nose gate. That nose gate smells. That we have that mouth gate, uh, which many of us will enjoy today at lunch. And we have that touch gate. I love it when Cheryl touches me. And I just start singing, she touched me. Oh, she touched me. <laughs> But there's something about when you touch someone. I come across people. Now, some people are just handshakers. They just want you to shake hands with them. And I try to be cautionary as how I approach people, especially women. And there are some people who will say, I'm not a handshaker. I'm a hugger. Are those huggers, there's all kind of joy and love that comes from that hug. I have actually seen people who were anointed to hug people. It was like healing went out of them and into that person because they were so anointed. I have friends of mine. Uh, C.L. Brooks is one of them. lives in Tampa. Uh, used to, when he was in practice, he played the trumpet as good as Phil Driscoll ever thought about pray, playing it. And um, this guy, he's, he's a touchy kind of guy. He touches. He actually sent me a text the other day, and it was when I was busy, and I forgot to text him back, just like I have some of you. 
But that's a gate that touches a gate. There are also many other gates. People, when they think of gates, many times only think about gates into the city, the entrance into a city, and those are gates. But I'll tell you several other gates. The government mountain is a gate. Business mountain is a gate. Media mountain is a gate. Uh, education mountain is a gate. Family mountain is a gate. Hospitals are gates. If, if you want to see, I don't want this to happen to you. If you have any kind of a seer gift, you stay in a hospital and spend the night in the room there that the patient is in, or if you're a patient, you'll see this as well, that the demons go into operation in the hospitals after midnight, big time, big time. And my cardiologist told me when I first went in the hospital down in Palm Beach County, he says, Ken, I want to get you out of here as soon as possible. I said, yeah. He said, yeah, these demons know who you are. And I want to get you out of here as quick as I can. Man, what a nice doctor to have. Many of them want to just keep you there, especially if you have good insurance. You have all these different gates. Government's a gate. Tallahassee's a gate. That's why it was necessary for us to go there in October and close the gateway to a socialist and open the gateway to a conservative. It was important for us to do that. Gates or portals. Listen to this. This is from uh, Genesis 28, 17. Heavens and the earth. He was afraid and said, how awesome is this place. This is none other than the house of God, and this is the gate of heaven. This is when Jacob was going through his transformation to become Israel. Genesis 28, 17 is what that was. Revelation 21, 21. New Jerusalem gate. The 12 gates were 12 pearls. Each one of the gates was a single pearl, and the street of the city was pure gold, like transparent glass. So he's talking about gates there. One of the things you need to understand about heaven, and I hope you get this, is that earth looks like heaven, except earth is in an unredeemed state. Heaven has streets, rivers, trees, so does the earth. We have I won't say we have everything that heaven has, but everything is made in earth after his image. Heaven looks a lot like the earth. It's just it's in, in a state of peace and no wars, no fights going on. So when you get there, you're going to see animals there. You're going to see fish in the rivers. Ezekiel 47 identifies the river of life. So does Revelation uh, 21, I think it is, identifies the river of life. They have fish in them. You're going to see all that. As a matter of fact, when you get to heaven, you're going to still be occupying until, uh, you know, from now on. Because the people in heaven, they have jobs that they do in heaven. They're just not just sitting there and, and, and just kind of on a cloud floating around. They literally, one place in the book of Revelation, I think it's the fifth chapter, it talks about those who are martyred are under the altar in heaven and they're crying out, Lord, Lord, how long, how long will you avenge us of, uh, of the blood that we shed? They're praying. What do you think the great cloud of witnesses doing? They're here right now. They're looking over us right now. Great cloud of witnesses. I believe they're saying, come on, Danielle. Come on, Kendall. Come on, Debbie. I believe that they're releasing words out of heaven. Wow. Don't be surprised if one of those great cloud of witness doesn't show up here one day. Jesus hung out with Elijah and, and, uh, and Moses just in the air just above the earth. Wow. There's gates of a city, gates of a state, gates of a nation. There are time gates. Gates of time. Whenever the rockets are launched or the space shuttle when it used to be launched, it had a window of time it had to launch in. If they missed that window of time, they had to wait for the next window to come around. They just couldn't launch any time they wanted to. There was a window that would, and things were aligned in that window for them to get the rockets or the shuttle where it needed to be when they launched at a certain time. If it didn't launch at that time, they had to wait. There are gates of time. I, I, I mentioned this to you. Uh, I tell people all the time, I said, if you've got a prophet at word, you know, give it to me or come up here and give it. And uh, during our three days of consecration, I went down to one of our spiritual daughters, Wendy, and I said, do you have anything? And she said, yeah, 
but it doesn't fit. She had to wait for the gate to open for her to give the word. Otherwise, it would have shifted the direction that God was in at that moment. And so she waited. And as she waited, bam, the opportunity came. When we were in Moline, Illinois, I had a word from the Lord. Dutch was up praying and, and decreeing. And I had already been up praying and decreeing. But as he was doing this, I got, another, I got a word from the Lord to pray. And so he handed the microphone to Lou. He comes over there. I said, I've got a word. And I shared it with him. I, I'm very subject to those who are in authority over me. If I have a word, I'm going to share it with them before I give it. And he says, yes, you got to give that. And all of a sudden, Lou took it in a different direction. And Dutch looked at me and he said, we just lost our window of opportunity. Wasn't that it wasn't a real word, but there's a time gate. A word given in proper season will give life. Get in the time gate. Did you know this? Some of you do because you've listened to Dutch or you listen to me. Dutch does a real lot better job of it. But the, where it talks about the gate beautiful in Acts, the third chapter, the man said at the gate called beautiful, he was placed there daily so that he could beg for alms by those who were passing by. That word gate in the Greek does not mean beautiful. It's the word horeios, and it actually means right time gate. It's what it means. See, that man was placed daily at the right time gate. As a matter of fact, Jesus walked by this guy going to the temple because it wasn't the right time. Jesus waited until Peter and John were going up at the hour of prayer and walked by this man sitting at the right time gate to pull him through that gate into healing. So you have to realize there are right time gates that, we've, that we move through and we move into. I had to wait for the right time gate for Pam to move up here. I kept praying, I kept praying. She kept saying to me, it's not time yet, it's not time yet. So I just kept praying, praying. And finally, she calls me up. She said, it's time. I got the release. <coughs> I'm picking on you today, okay? So you better be good to me. The seven mountains of cultural influence are gateways. There's a religious mountain, government mountain, family mountain, education, media, arts, entertainment, business mountain. All of these are gateways. Now, look in your Bible to Genesis 22. Now, here the Lord is speaking to Abraham just after he has offered up Isaac, and the Lord told him not to do it. And he says, Indeed, I will greatly bless you, and I will greatly multiply your seed as the stars of heaven and as the sand which is on the seashore. And your seed, Abraham's seed, shall possess the gates of their enemies. Now, I love this because He's telling you and I that as Abraham's seed, and we just, we just established in Galatians 3.29 when we first opened up that we are Abraham's seeds and heirs according to the promise. That his seed, you and I, are called to possess the gate of the enemy. Not to allow the enemy to possess that gate. Even in Matthew 16, verse 18, where our, our, yeah, verse 18, where he talks about there, upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell, the authority of hell, will not prevail against the ecclesia. It won't have the authority to prevail against us. Years ago, we used to hear those testimonies. Uh, they started giving, I love the Lord, bless his holy name, please pray for me, the devil has been beating me all week long, bless his holy name. We did. We used to hear those. Anybody hear those besides me? We used to hear those. They didn't know who to bless. They blessed the Lord when they're starting off, and they blessed the enemy when they finish. What a defeated testimony. I remember I was in Winn-Dixie over in Haines City, where, close to where we used to live, and uh, I greeted someone that ever so often would frequent our church, and I said, how are you? Ooh, I shouldn't have said that. She started vomiting up. That's the best way to put it. Vomiting up everything that was wrong and how the enemy had. 
And finally, as she keeps on going, I, I just said, quit allowing him to do that. You start waking up every morning with the eye of the tiger, and you take him on before he takes you on. That's how you do it. I was telling Danielle the other night, you need to get the eye of the tiger. Start functioning in that authority that that tiger has. We've been called to possess the gates of our enemy. And I want to talk about seed now. And I'll talk more about gates later because we're going, I want to get in to what your seed is like. You are an heir. Say heir. You are an heir. H-E-I-R. An heir supremacy wins. Let me say this again. H-E-I-R. Supremacy wins. If you begin operating as an heir, you will win every time. Heir supremacy also wins the ground war. In Galatians 4, 7, says the Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God and if children, heirs also. Heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. If, we, if indeed we suffer with him so that we may also be glorified with him. And then, that was Romans 6, uh, 8. Here's 4, 7. Therefore, you are no longer a slave. Say, I'm no longer a slave. But a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. Now, ladies, you're just going to have to get this in your thinking that you're a son, okay? I'm a bride. You can be a son. It's okay. We're going to be okay. You and I are not orphans. And one of the spirits I despise upon people, not the person, I despise the orphan spirit. That spirit that says, I don't belong. That spirit says, I don't feel like I should be here. That spirit that says, I don't think anybody loves me. Why don't you just throw out your own welcome mat then? Throw out your own welcome mat. See, that, that's a spirit that we do not need to foster. I had somebody just the other day say to me, I'm really going through a hard time. I just don't feel like, and when they said that, I stopped them. I said, that's a thought from the enemy. Cast that thought out in Jesus' name. You do belong. I knew where they were going. I'm not going to jump in and say, oh, we so, we so love you. You belong because all I'm doing is feeding that demon. That's all I'm doing. Oh, you, no, no, some of you mercy-motivated people will. Just not me, okay? You create a codependency when you do that, by the way. I said, that's the devil speaking to you. Don't think that way. Whenever you get that thought, you rise up and you say, no, that's not the way I'm supposed to feel. That's not the way I'm supposed to think. God says I'm more than a conqueror. God says I am in the beloved. God says I'm a part of the body of Christ. God says I'm an heir of God and co-heirs with Christ. You begin decreeing what God says. Woo! I think I'm preaching to the choir. At least I hope I am. This is being properly aligned. When you and I are aligned properly, the authority begins to, being an heir, fills our life. Let me say this again. This is being properly aligned. You see, there's, because of people's thinking, many people, even though they're saved, they're not properly aligned with God. Because God is saying one thing and they're saying another thing. And so their thinking is all off course. And don't you buy into that feeling sorry for them. Just jump with me right now to Mark, the fourth chapter. I want to show you something that we're going to come back to this being an error. First time I read this was probably 1976. I, I, I consumed the entire Bible within just a couple of months, reading every day. And when I came across this, I was blown away because I didn't understand the thinking that the Lord had, had here. And he says in verse um, 23, we'll go to Mark 4, 23. 
If any man has ears to hear, let him hear. It's important that you and I have the hearing of an heir, not the hearing of a slave. Let me say this. This is very important. That you and I have the hearing of an heir, H-E-I-R, not the hearing of a slave. See, the children of Israel that came out of Egypt, they had slavery hearing. They wanted to go back and make bricks. God wanted to possess a land flowing with milk and honey. But they had the wrong hearing. Then he says to them, and he was saying to them, take care what you listen to. This is very important. By your standard of measure, it shall be measured to you, and more shall be given you besides. So he's saying there, and it's kind of like what Robert said about the ten virgins. Five wanted their oil. He says, he says no, I'm not giving you my oil. No way. Remember that? Look at what Jesus says here. Take care what you listen to. By the standard of measure, it shall be measured to you, and more shall be given you besides. For whoever has, to him shall more be given. And see, this is what I want. I want everything God has. I want the revelation. I'm going after this. I want, I want the blessings. I want the finances. I even want the suffering that goes with following Jesus. I want all of that, everything he has, because to whom per, the person that has, more is given. It's very seldom that I will stop on the side of the road and give somebody money unless God speaks to me. And it has to be heaven and earth speaking to me for, you know, for me to do that. Because they need to work. I don't need to take. And here we have some politicians today wanting to take money away from the wealthy and give it to people who don't even want to work. This is something they proposed the other day. They, they want to keep the cows from fat flagellating. They want to do away with cows. Have, have you read, seen this on the news? I can't believe this. They want to do away with cows. They want everybody to go vegan. No airplanes. I guarantee if they did that, they would have airplanes. They want everybody else to do high-speed rail across the country. I'm thinking to myself, what's going on here? Here we have got a New York City being able to abort a child right up to birth. A Virginia governor wanting to allow the mom to decide whether to keep the baby alive or not when it's laying on the table there. It's crazy. Socialism. Facebook might censor this, but I don't care. We are heirs. We're not heirs to that kind of junk. I'm an heir of God and a joint heir with Christ. If you're an heir, start enjoying God. You need to enjoy him. Thank you, Cheryl. If you're not enjoying God, you're probably serving religion. You need to enjoy him. You need to wake up saying, God, I'm so glad to be with you today. God, I'm so looking forward to this day and what you and I are going to do together. Start enjoying him. Go fishing. How many of you like to fish? How many of you have been fishing? Wow, I haven't been lately. I love to go, but I love it when I catch. I practice conservation called catch and eat. I don't do the catch and release thing. I catch and eat. I figure there might be too many in there. I need to eat some of those. But I love going fishing. I love when I start catching fish and those fish are coming in. I start rejoicing with the Lord. Thank you, God, for these fish that we're having here today. And sometimes if I'm not catching fish, I'll just start talking to him. And, 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 and then I'll start catching fish. I took my uh, two girls one time. The boys were too small. I took them to a, a catfish pond up in, outside of Montgomery, Alabama, when we lived there. Just, they were just young kids at the time. Took Amanda and Jennifer. How old were they? No, they didn't go. No, I knew better than to take them. Pike robe, yep. Okay, they did. Like I said, she remembers everything. Nobody's catching any fish. Nobody. And my daughter Jennifer, she's holding a rod in the water, and she said, Oh, Lord, 
please let me catch a fish. No sooner had she got the words out of her mouth, her rod went pew, just like that. She starts really, Daddy, help me. I said, no, I'm not helping you. You bring that in by yourself. And she brought that. It's about a three-pound catfish, you know. She brought that in. But not only did she catch fish, the whole pond started catching fish. Everybody around the pond began catching fish because of one little eight-year-old girl's prayer that was released into the heavens, caused the earth, caused the heavens to react, and the earth began giving its fish. I, Lou said it. I've been saying it for years. We don't have a carbon footprint problem. We have a sin problem in America. If we start enjoying God, we start transforming our region. You should enjoy the Lord. I'll tell you another fishing story, and I'm going to close with this. I took uh, one of our twin boys, Jason, and his, uh, his son, Levi, who is about 23 now, but at the time he was maybe 10. Took him fishing down in Kissimmee State Park, and they used to have a spillway that when the waters, when it was flooding, that spillway would just start flowing, and fish would come up there, and you could, I'd never been there when it was flowing that I didn't catch a five-pound bass, you know, every time, sometimes eight pounds. And uh, so Jason here, I'm in the middle, Levi's over here. My first cast out, I brought in about a four-pound bass. And the other two, they didn't catch anything, so I baited my hook back up and threw it back out. I just hit, let it hit the water, and bam, I caught another one. And I brought that one in. I've got two now. Neither one of them have anything, but Levi's mouth hits the floor in sadness, hits the bridge in sadness. Baited my rod back up, threw it back out there. Bam. I said, Levi, come here. And I passed my rod to another generation. And I let that next generation begin reeling that fish in. He said, Papa, come help me. It was so big, we, he couldn't bring it up on the bridge. He had to go to the side of the bank to get that fish. Papa, come help me. No, I'm not helping you. You wanted to catch a fish, you bring it in. And he did. He brought it in. He got it up there. We took it off, put it on the stringer, put it back in the water. And he comes by me, and he slaps me on the back. Papa, me and you, we're on fire. <laughs> See, that's, that's a memory that I've made with him that neither he or I will ever forget. I may forget some things, but I won't forget that. And when, I, when he said that to me, my joy level went off the charts because another generation was allowed to catch fish. Listen to this. As an heir, we receive who he is, not who our parents are. Do you know that Carolyn Leaf in her book, she says, even though that you may have a hereditary illness that's passed down through the generation, the way that you think can change that. She says the reason it's there is because that's the way your parents thought. And it was passed down through your DNA. And she says you can literally change your genes in your body to be healed just by the way that you think. As an heir, we receive his authority, not our own. You know, I can tell when people are trying to operate in their own authority and in the authority of the Lord. And their own authority, your own authority is just you that's coming across. But when the authority of the Lord is coming across, it begins to move the atmosphere. It begins to change dimensions. You also, as an heir, receive his grace. That's not just unmerited favor, but that is an empowerment to be who God is and to be like him. You receive authority, as an heir, you receive favor as being blessed. All around you, you receive power, dunamis power. You receive a kingdom as an heir. I live in a kingdom called the kingdom of God. I live in America, but I'm also in a kingdom. And my job here is to colonize this kingdom, his kingdom on the earth. As an heir, I'm also a steward. I'm responsible for what God has given to me, what he's called me to do, what he's called me to be. I'm responsible. You're not responsible for what I'm called to be or do. You're, I'm responsible for that. Same thing with you. You're responsible to be what God has called you to be and do. Don't blame it on somebody else if you're not that. Because it's your responsibility to be who the Lord has said you are. As an heir, we receive his blessings. 
As an heir, we receive healing from him. And as an heir, we receive deliverance. And God desires for you and I to occupy our inheritance and this land until he comes. And as I occupy that inheritance, I'm going to give some away along the way because if I give some away, I'm going to get more. Stand to your feet.